This is Suno India Production. You can now listen to all our episodes on our Android and iPhone app. Download it now. Hi, this is Meenaka Rao, host of this episode of the Suno India Show. This is the second episode in the two-part series on the recent job layoffs in IT industry. In November itself, Baidu's announced 2,500 layoffs. So did the edtech firm Unacademy. Across the world, we are hearing about companies laying off workers. Twitter and Meta come to mind. In Kerala, workers from Baidu's Tiruvannamalai office were allegedly asked to resign. and later got back their jobs after a collective pratidhwani intervened you can hear more about it in the previous episode some baiju workers from bengaluru are still negotiating with their employers for this episode i spoke to abid firdosi abid is doing his phd in sociology at the john hopkins university with labor relations as his focus a few years ago he wrote a paper on unionization at the it industry in kerala after conducting field work at the it park in tiruvananthapuram I have put a link of this paper in the show notes. He started by telling me about the history of the IT industry in India and how it was always on shaky foundations. In order to understand uh, you know the precarious nature of employment uh in the IT industry I think it's important to understand uh the precarious foundation on which this industry was really built. Um so if you think about it really the industry was seen as a symbol of this new India right like catering to these aspirations of upward mobility of an english educated workforce an english speaking workforce right we also need to remember that the proportion of english speakers in the indian population is just just around 10% uh but it kind of adds up in absolute numbers right like it it's really like around 130 plus million people um but and 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 this was really realized in the late 1990s with the y2k crisis right and the industry really grew effectively by turning the y2k crisis into an opportunity and this fostered a sort of a labor absorption model uh whereby um, american companies were realized the potential of outsourcing to india so to some extent it did cater to these aspirations but then again as political economists who study the it industry call this was really like an uh, an enclave within an indian economy with with very little spillover effects to the rest of the population right so um it did not really deliver the benefits to the rest of the indian population compared to say traditional manufacturing uh, for instance can you explain that like when you mean spillover by spillover effects i mean um so if you start a particular factory it creates a lot of demand um from other uh, industries it has these forward and backward linkages with like for instance you can source raw materials from agriculture for instance and also creates like demand for different services but compared to this like it has been shown that the it industry really does not generate these kind of forward and backward linkages with the rest of the uh uh sectors or even for the rest of the population and i think this is also this also feeds into how workers kind of uh, view themselves and we'll get to that in a while but what i was trying to say is that uh, so you have these late 1990s y2k crisis and the industry really gets locked into uh, in a way uh, locked into demand from the us and it really depends upon demand from the us uh, for export revenues 
and also it gets locked into certain specific kind of activities like uh, which which are in fact low value adding in the it supply chain and this largely is it infrastructure maintenance uh, like jobs like coding or testing uh, compared to high value adding activities like software design which were really carried uh, carried on abroad so inherently what i'm trying to say is that the it industry has these precarious foundation because it was tied to global demands it was tied to uh, particularly us demand and um, it was also trapped in these low value adding activities and this is something that industry experts are very well aware of so if you go through the you know industry reports of nascom for many years they've been asking and they've been calling for diversifying the export market and the fact that we should constantly upgrade or you know move up the value chain but they've not been able to do it because they got locked into this particular structure right right could you tell me like how are these jobs precarious because as you yourself mentioned that you know these are jobs which are uh, not blue collar how do you sort of describe its precarity basically this is where this 2016-17 turns out to be something like a critical turning point in the it industry and people were saying you know that this large labor absorption model which really gave employment to a vast majority of say graduates from the engineering discipline was really coming to an end this had to do with two things basically first is trump's election um and uh, donald trump comes to power with a lot of protectionist uh, rhetoric and this creates a lot of uncertainty uh, among the fu- uh, about the future of the outsourcing model that the industry is really built on and but you know it's 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 debatable how much this actually turned into practice and i, I think like people are looking into that but uh, more importantly i i guess like uh, the second point was uh, this adoption of new technologies right like uh, especially cloud computing um now as i said uh, much of the jobs in the it industry was really rely uh, relying on this infrastructure management but when this entire it infrastructure gets moved to the cloud you don't need these large number of people in order to engage in that maintenance right so a lot of jobs effectively becomes redundant um so when you talk to workers about how they feel about these changes they do acknowledge the, this uncertainty the, this insecurity but they keep referring to it as the dynamism of the industry <laughs> um uh, i mentioned this in that journal article that i wrote uh, where which i'll probably never forget uh, ever in my life and this worker was telling me you know in the age of uh, motorcycles nobody rides a bicycle so you have to constantly upskill yourself you have to be constantly aware of the changes that are happening within the industry and you have to internalize that dynamism of the industry in order to stay in the job and this creates a lot of insecurity and uncertainty in the lives of these people also right so uh, and people who just cannot keep up with the game uh, people with like 12 15 years of experience uh, i remember someone telling me that they were actually trying to do uh, attend coaching lessons for like a bank job or a government job just because they don't see a future in the industry anymore so i guess um, the paradox here is that these are work workers do not control the pace of technological change that are happening right in in any particular corporation and it's really imposed from above but even 
once you think about it, it's not really that these corporations are adopting these automatic automating technologies either, right? So it really is due to market pressures. They have to stay competitive. Either you introduce a new technology or when someone else introduces this new technology, you have to adopt that technology to stay in that game. But ultimately, the responsibility of all this is really offloaded to workers and workers kind of internalize this responsibility that, you know, they have to uh, learn all these technologies. Something that I want to mention on the side is that uh, I was, uh, I remember speaking to a worker who was, in fact, writing code that would, that could potentially automate other jobs. And she was pretty much conscious about this, Uh, right? Like, so... I asked her, like, are you aware of the ethical implications here? Because you might probably be displacing someone else from employment. And she said, yes, I am. But, uh, you know, uh, there is no point thinking about it. And there is nothing much that an individual worker can actually do about this process, right? So, as I said, like, a lot of work is getting redundant in the process. And that's when you see these mass retrenchment cases that are getting a lot of media attention, and it's increasingly becoming common, like we've seen in the news lately that these big tech companies are also laying off uh, large numbers of people. But then uh, mass retrenchment is usually like a last resort option. So in my research, I see that how uh, workers were basically telling how um, companies resort to different kinds of strategies, right? Like, for instance, slowing down the pace of hiring or hiring from specific disciplines like the computer science or hiring more contractual work, like through temporary agencies, for instance, or, you know, assigning people to the bench. Uh, And if workers do not really upskill themselves, so the bench means that when a worker is not able to find a project that they they can work on, they are assigned to the bench. (laughs) It's it's like a metaphorical term that they use. So if, 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 if they do not upskill themselves, or if they are not able to find a project that they can work on, they are persuaded or coerced into quitting the job ultimately and this is then marked as involuntary attrition by the company so you can see that uh, this inherent market pressures really make the work you know uh, the job itself precarious and i guess like it goes back to this idea also that the industry was really an outcome of success of market reform since the 1990s when in fact it was really tied to a lot of state support also, right? So, um, but as long as you see this as successive market reforms, it really hinders any rationale for state regulation also, or or even unionization. And so all these things really makes, you know, IT jobs uh, precarious. So the guy from Pratidhwani, he, the, he told me that, you know, they have these workshops where you know they keep uh, you know they get experts so that you know workers can upskill themselves you know a bit like how uh, uh, medical professionals have these uh, you know uh, conferences etc so i was quite struck by this this uh, uh, this need to sort of constantly upskill yourself and one would look at it as a positive thing right as you said dynamic sounds very positive like it doesn't sound like it doesn't sound uh, like a bad thing yeah. For instance, I would want my doctor to be up to date, for instance, like if, if, huh. But like, uh, uh, from the labor context, like, you know, what really happens, uh, like, how does it sort of, uh, uh, affect them? Like, do you want to, like, think about that? 
Sure. I mean, uh, the problem is that uh, here is that when you contextualize the IT industry as a technological oriented industry, right? So here the dynamism is really about the pace of technological change. Uh, new software or new uh, a skill that you learn gets redundant in two or three years. So workers are really, as you said, like really insecure about the pace in which this technological change is happening, which means that they constantly have to upskill themselves. So since, you know, like uh, anyone who works on labor looks at it mostly from, you know, like the idea of, the idea is mostly like a blue collar job, right? Like if, if like any upper class or middle class, pers- upper middle class person talking about it, you know, you write that the IT professionals uh, distinguish themselves from the idea of them being workers and basically uh, are therefore averse to unionization. Are the problems of these professionals so different? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess like uh, this This really goes back to that enclave nature of the industry that I mentioned before, right? So employees really like to uh, distinguish themselves from this identity of a manual worker or the blue collar worker that you said. So uh, this is this is done psychologically, for instance, through the self-identification of uh uh, as as a professional instead of a worker, and this is also done through different kinds of uh, you know consumption lifestyle patterns. And as you can you know know like uh, I don't know how common it is in outside Kerala, but then there is this identity of a techie as opposed to like a worker, right? So uh, or a tech bro, for instance. As I was saying, uh, this professional uh, this articulation of a professional identity instead of being uh, a worker, right? And they they do engage in more tech-oriented worker and they like to distinguish themselves as professionals rather than workers, and it's important. But it's in fact true that IT workers do earn more, they speak more sophisticated English, and they they have certain acquired cultural tastes. Uh, their workplaces are very architecturally distinct. And uh, more importantly, those workplace dynamics are very different, right? Like it's, it's not marked by, say, explicit physical or verbal violence uh, that you see in, say, a garment factory, for instance. Uh, and relationships are with the management are really seen as informal. And this is really important because I feel like uh, one worker was saying like how they don't have to call their manager sir or madam anymore. And they found this something to be really interesting, you know, interesting and really uh, contributing to that identity of like professionalism once you think about it it's really like a typical IT worker who's spent uh, all those years in school and in say like an engineering college where they have to call teachers everybody sir or madam right in a position of authority and they come to this IT workplace where you call people by their name so this was really like personally this is seen as like a big shift right so all this really contributes to the idea that okay we we are professionals and this is very much different from like the rest of the working class but the paradox here is that none of this none of this is actually a valid objective criterion in order to demarcate or to distinguish an IT employee from the rest of the working class. Just because workers do not identify as workers does not mean that they are not workers because wage work is not something that you identify with. It is something that you do, right? Like, so it's, uh, so it's, it's really like an objective identity, right? Um, by definition, wage workers means that, uh, what, what is wage work? It means that you're entering into a contract with an employer and you're selling your labor power for a specified duration of time in return for a wage. 
and this creates a lot of like uh, problems for instance you face the insecurity of being fired upon the will of the employer you 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 have less control over the workplace dynamics say in terms of the technology that you adapt in this workplace and uh, you are constantly compelled in order to improve your labor productivity and there is always this eternal struggle over the working day which we saw during covid also where people were working from home but they you know uh, really could not draw the distinction between what is a personal time and what is work time you're constantly expected to be online so all this really shows that you know there are not many differences uh, between the so called it professional and the rest of the working class so just because you don't have an abusive supervisor because you don't have to call your manager sir or ma'am and just because you engage with computers instead of sewing machines doesn't really mean that the workplace is any less exploited or is free from exploitation and just just because all this happens doesn't mean that you cease to be workers now i guess like the real strategic question is this conflict right like this tension when the pro- when this person identifies as a professional and this objective location as a worker within the larger socio economic system and this conflict really comes during times of crisis and you know for instance instances of mass retrenchment and that is when the question of unions come into being we've seen even in the recent baiju case like where a collective which is not a union necessarily but it negotiated on behalf of uh, these employees and what you think about it and uh, maybe also comment on like other kinds of unions sure sure and i can speak about kerala here also which you asked earlier i guess um so what my work my research was trying to show is that workers were really hostile to the idea of unionization right so this this really has to do with the self identification as a professional and people do say that okay it's because you know they see themselves as separate from the rest of the working class it's due to their professional identity and even unions if you really look at the discussions among you know like much more traditional unions they also say that okay they're different but once you really speak with workers it's not just this professional identity that matters because it can it cannot be overstated because if you ask workers what exactly this why exactly they are hostile to the idea of unionization they do say that yeah we are professionals but they also say certain other things for instance they they talk about okay the, a lot of their work really depends upon orders or you know time bound orders from foreign clients so they are speaking about the risk considerations of foreign clients they talk about threat of companies shutting downs if the unions in case if unions are formed in case things get really militant right like so if they if unions adopt like strikes for instance uh, the companies can simply shut off because they don't really have uh, a a large investment in running a particular workplace in an IT park compared to say you know a, 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 another industry outside as compared to say a factory outside the indian uh, it industry uh, and you also have uh, workers were telling me okay you know the government will not support us because the government doesn't really want to see uh, uh, see unions in this emerging it industry also this threat of blacklisting right like the threat of retaliation um, getting singled out in the workplace for really talking about building a union so all these all these factors workers were really conscious about these factors so it was not just really like the professionalism it's not really because they identify as professionals that they don't want unions it's larger these 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 
these larger political economic considerations that workers themselves have and this brings me to that kerala question that you asked like because workers saw unions as being excessively politicized right like they they said okay you know and and this goes back to this i guess like this typical uh, middle class indian attitude that you know we are not interested in politics we are interested in governance and efficiency uh, you know politics doesn't matter i feel like this is really as a sociologist i feel this is really like a narrow definition of politics you know politics is not just about electoral politics anymore like anything anywhere there is power relations that is politics right so this is why all these reasons um, make them advocate for collectives instead of unions right so so i guess like what is really instructive here is that workers are not really disagreeing with the need for some level of mobilization they are just against the idea of like a conventional 20th century labor organizing model uh which is what you see in like traditional labor unions more important is that they fear retaliation and they and the fear of losing their job either because they get fired or because their company shuts down but workers do mobilize to fight against disenfranchisement as we see in the byju's case right like when things really get bad they do approach these collectives and you see that these collectives are really pushed to do functions that traditional unions would do so this also raises a very interesting question whether such collectives can you know are are really doing the same functions as traditional unions in some in such instances and whether they can actually coexist with unions and i would like to you know know more about it also i guess like a key point here like an as a student of sociology of labor generally studying unions i feel one of the big dilemma for unions here is that you know workers really approach these unions or collectives or let me talk about unions here because that's what i'm familiar with you know workers approach these unions after the fact or when a mass retrenchment really happens right so um but the big uh, idea of like unions is that they mobilize workers to prevent such retrenchment from happening or mass retrenchment from happening in the first place right so the idea of union is really to institutionalize worker power so that they strengthen workers in you know when compared with the management right so that the management really doesn't engage in abusive practices in the first place and i think this is what you are also were trying to say so the idea is that okay because you cannot really control the fate unions cannot control the fate of the it industry but unions if you have more unionization you can actually shape the future of the it industry's workers right like not the it industry though so because at the end of the day it's you know it's not ordinary workers who should really face the brunt of say corporate misbehavior or even the lack of state regulation or you know just market instability because they need to be protected it's their livelihoods also so yeah and that's why i guess like unions are really necessary thank you for listening to this episode you can now listen to all our episodes on our android and iphone app download it now